pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. We're going to start there in a minute. There's something interesting that the Apostle Paul said in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians as he was teaching uh, on communion, and he was telling us all the things that the Lord showed him and the Lord taught him about communion. And uh, toward the end of the chapter, he said this. He said, for this reason... Many are sick and weak among you, and some have even died in, in, uh, prematurely. For this reason, some are sick and weak, and some have even gone home to be with the Lord prematurely. They didn't get to live their full life out. They went home early. Would you like to know what that reason is? Well, you're going to have to stick around, because I'm not going to tell you until the end of this message. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's start this new year off by asking a couple questions. Just answer them to yourself. But if I were to ask you if you were born again, I think at least everybody in this room would say, yes, I am. I'm born again. You know that for sure. And if I was to ask you if you're a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, Again, I'm sure everybody in this room at least would answer, yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. But here's another question I have for you. Can you prove you're a born-again follower of Jesus Christ? Or do I have to take your word for it? Can I prove that I'm a follower or I'm born again and a follower of Jesus Christ? Or do you have to take my word for it? Is there any way we can prove that we're born again and we're a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ? Yes, there is. You know, wearing an I Love Jesus t-shirt is not proof. Having a fish-shaped emblem on the back of your trunk is not proof. Wearing a cross necklace is not proof that you're a Christian or you're born again. Not even going to church on Wednesday night and Sunday morning will prove that you're a Christian. It's good. It won't hurt you, and I'll tell you that, but it's no proof that you're born again or you're a follower of Jesus Christ. But there is a way to prove it, and Jesus himself tells us how in John 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another. Now notice this is not a suggestion. He said a commandment. That you love one another. As I have loved you. That you also love one another. In other words we're to love one another. Like Jesus loves us. Now you might say that's impossible. Or if it was then Jesus is a liar. He wouldn't tell us to do something we can't do. Verse 35 says. By this. Shall all men know that you are my disciples, or followers, if you have love one for another. 
There's the acid test. That is the proof. That's how we prove that we're born again and we're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because to be a disciple or a follower means that you obey his teachings. And he says right here that there's a new commandment that we love one another as he has loved us. It's exactly like Jesus loved us. We're to love one another. And he said, if you do that, this is how all men will know that you are my disciples, by the love you have one for another. There's the proof. So you prove you're a born-again follower of Jesus Christ by our actions towards one another. Because love is an action word. It's, I know it can be a noun, but it's also a verb. It means that something has to happen. You know, words are cheap. You can say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister, as we're leaving the church today. But you know what? That's just words. That doesn't prove anything. And uh, if you want to prove you love them, then you'll show them that love cares, love sacrifices, love gives, and love shows up. When somebody has a need, love will show up at the door. Amen? So now that's how we prove we're a disciple. We're a follower of Jesus Christ. How do we prove we're born again now? Brother John again in chapter 3 verses 14 through 16 this time. One, this is 1 John chapter 3, 14 and 16. The letter, first letter of John wrote. He says, we know that we have passed from death unto life. That's the new birth. That's what happened when you were born again. You passed from death, spiritual death, unto life and here's how we know because we love the brethren and the sistren whenever, whenever the Bible says brother or brethren or mankind it's talking about God's creation man and woman because women are mankind too and then he says verse 15 he that loveth not his brother abideth in death in other words you're not born again if you're not loving your brother you're not really born again whoever hates his brother is a murderer who that's pretty rough and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him better not hate your brother hereby perceive we or become aware of the love of god this is what makes us aware of the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. There's no greater sacrifice than that. You can't give a greater sacrifice than laying your life down for somebody. And here he says that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren and the sistren. I mean, that's how he proved his love to us. Remember I said love gives? He gave. He gave it all. But I don't believe he's talking about us literally dying or laying down our lives and dying for one of our brothers or sisters. Although it could come to that some, in some places. I'm sure that's happening in parts of the world and could happen here. But I really believe he's talking about us putting others first. In other words, you lay your life aside and you take that time and you spend it on somebody else. You spend it helping somebody else. That's laying your life down, laying your life aside and spending time on somebody else and helping somebody else and meeting their needs. Remember, Jesus said this, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. 
And that's exactly what he did. He's given us an example of love. Love is not selfish. Love is selfless. In other words, love puts other people first. So if he's given us a new commandment, then there must be an old commandment, right? He's wanting to replace an old commandment with a new commandment. And the old commandment is the Ten Commandments of Moses. Moses' law is sometimes called the Ten Commandments of the Old Covenant. So there isn't going to be a need for the Old Covenant because Jesus fulfilled it and he established a new and better covenant. Not just a new covenant, but a better covenant. And it's a better covenant because it was based upon his shed blood rather than the shed blood of an animal or an acceptable sacrifice like they did in the Old Testament. This is his blood. That makes it a better promise. That cements it for me. Amen? Amen. And then the writer of Hebrews tells us, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. He not only ushered in a better covenant, but now he's the mediator of it. He's the umpire. He's the one watching over it. And it says, which was established upon better promises. Say better. better. What's that mean? If he healed in the old covenant, then he has to heal in the new covenant. Otherwise, it wouldn't be better. It has to be at least equal, if not better. But he said it's a better covenant. And if he delivered in the old covenant, then he has got to be a deliverer in the new covenant. If he led and guided the children of Israel in the old covenant and provided for them, he was their Jehovah Jireh, then that is at least that much has to be in the new covenant plus more because it's a better covenant. Amen. And this covenant is not guaranteed on the shed blood of a goat or a bull. It's guaranteed by the shed blood of the Son of God. It's God's blood that ratified this new covenant and made it special and made it better. Hallelujah. So there's no longer a need for the Ten Commandments because they've been fulfilled by Jesus. In Matthew 5, 17, he said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, or what the prophets said, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And that's important. Let's look at that same passage of scripture in a couple other translations to give us more clarity. Matthew 5, 17 in the Amplified says, Do not think that I came to do away with or undo the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, that's the law of Moses, or the writings of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Fill. And then in the New Living Translation, it says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. He came to fulfill them. But now he gives us a new commandment that we love one another. And a lot of Christians believe the Ten Commandments or the law has been done away with or abolished, but that's not true. That's not an accurate statement. We're not to abolish or do away with the Ten Commandments because they're still in force, but we're to fulfill them just like Jesus did. You're thinking, how could we do what Jesus did? 
Again, he wouldn't tell us if we could. The Ten Commandments are still in full force. Now, you know who that's bad news for? Somebody that's living without Jesus Christ in their life. That's bad news for somebody that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ because if they want to get to heaven, they got to fulfill the Ten Commandments, and that's impossible. Jesus was the only one that was able to accomplish their purpose, fulfill the commandments, every one of them. He obeyed every commandment without fail, and he's the only one that's ever did it ever since they were written by the finger of God and given to Moses on Mount Sinai centuries ago. We can't fulfill the Ten Commandments. It's impossible. It would mean that you'd have to live a perfect life. And I don't know anybody that's even come close to that. The Ten Commandments was a gauge for us to measure our lives against the commandments of God or the perfection of God. God has a perfect standard. He set a perfect standard for everybody to meet. And we realize through the Ten Commandments that we can never meet that standard. We can never even come close to that perfect standard that God has set. And he has every right to do so. He's God. He's perfect. We're his children. He wants us to be perfect. But he also knows we couldn't do it in ourselves. He also knew we needed help. Actually, we needed a savior, somebody that could fulfill the commandments and then pass that blessing on to us. So when Christ died on the cross after fulfilling the commandments and every word that came out of the mouth of the prophets, he allowed us to be in him. When we're in him, he's in us, and when we're in him, we have all the benefits of everything he ever did, including that. Amen? When he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried. When he rose, we rose in newness of life. And that comes through the new birth after the resurrection. So the Ten Commandments are still in full force, but they have to be fulfilled by obeying the new commandment. And that's only if you walk according to the new commandment, that you walk in love towards your brethren. Amen. Amen. See, Jesus didn't destroy or abolish the law. By fulfilling it, it gave him the right to change it. By fulfilling it, he was able to take the old Ten Commandments and consolidate them into one new commandment and what he's saying is if you obey this new commandment, you fulfill the old law, the old Ten Commandments. How? By obeying the new commandment. Because if you obey the new commandment, uh, they trump, the new commandment trumps all the Old Testament law. So if you obey the new commandment, you've obeyed all the law. Paul said in Galatians 5.14, For all the law, say all, all, all the law. The Ten Commandments is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Man, I thought we were supposed to just love the brethren. I thought we were just supposed to love those that come to church, those that are like us. And now he even went and said that we have to love our neighbors too. Yeah. He said we have to love our neighbors. See, if you're born again and in Christ, you will love your neighbor. And that's the new commandment. 
under the new covenant. And when you do, then you fulfill all the law. So now I got to love the brethren and the sistren, those that I go to church with. And now I have to even love those that don't even go to church. They ain't like me, but I still have to love them. And that word neighbor comes from a compound Greek word, nay for near and bore for by. So we have to love all those that are nearby. That means everybody. We have to love everybody. Brethren, sistren, all the neighbors. Everybody we come in contact with. Everybody that's near us or comes near us. We have to love them. So remember, Jesus did not come to abolish the law or do away with it or the writings of the prophets. He says, no, I came to accomplish or fulfill their purpose. And he did. But let's see what he's talking about with the prophets. Let's see what a couple, at least a couple of the prophets had to say. Let's look at Ezekiel. And then we'll look at Jeremiah. But Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27 he prophesies and says, then will I sprinkle this. He's talking, he's, he's speaking for God now. So then will I, God, sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols will I cleanse you. And then he says, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. That's the new birth. And I will take away the stony heart, the old heart, the old way of life, the old man, out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. He's given us the ability to keep his judgments and do them. In other words, there's coming a day where I will fulfill the Old Testament commandments that were written on tablets of stone, and I will write a new commandment, but this time not on a tablet of stone, I will write it on your heart. The born-again heart, the inner man, the spirit of man, that born-again heart that I will put into you and put my spirit in it, he said that he will cause, he will write that commandment on our heart and cause us to walk according to that command. I don't have to read about it. I don't have to look it up in the Bible. It's in my heart. And then Jeremiah basically prophesied the same thing Ezekiel did in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. He said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. He even told us he's going to make a new covenant. Not according to the old covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. 
Now, if we're to love like God loves, we're instructed to love the way God loves. And God doesn't just love, he is love. God is love. And if we're supposed to uh, love like he does, then we're supposed to also forgive like he does. Well, I forgave them, but I'll never forget what they did. Then you're not forgiven like Jesus did. Because God said, I'll forget their iniquity. He said, I'll cast them into a sea of forgetfulness. And I'll, I'll not remember them. And he, he gauged it by saying, as far as the east is from the west, that's how he's forgiven us. Well, the east will never meet the west. So he's totally forgiven us, and he's forgotten our sin. If you confess your sin, sincerely confess a sin, uh, get it under the blood, and you confess the same sin the next day, God won't even know what you're talking about. Why? He said, I'll remember it no more. So when you properly confess your sins from the heart and you repent, God not only forgives you, but he forgets. Well, I'll tell you, there's a lot of things that I wish people would have forgot about me. There's a lot of things I wish I could forget about some people, too. But God says that's how we're to forgive. You forgive and you forget. You don't hold no grudges. You don't try to exact revenge on them, get even with them. That's what the flesh wants to do. But then anyway, the two prophets, uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah said that. And I know that's Old Testament, but listen. This is in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 11. Now this is New Testament, right? And the writer of Hebrews said this. I believe that writer would be Paul. But anyway, he said, For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord. See, they were always talking about something in the future. But the day has come. Jesus was crucified, died, was buried, and rose. That's the day that we were looking forward to through the prophets. And now, uh, Paul here in Hebrews is saying, he's quoting the prophets. He's quoting what they said. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now he's quoting exactly what Ezekiel and Jeremiah said. And then he says, Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, after the days of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Now I'm going to tell you something. Everybody knows about the Lord. I mean, especially in this country. The Lord knows he's been preached and preached and preached. And they're on Facebook, they're on YouTube, they're on Twitter, they're on television. I mean, everybody in this country knows that the Lord exists. They don't, maybe they're not born again. They might know him as Lord, but they know of him. And I believe 
The whole world knows of him, knows about him, heard something about him. But let me show you something that's amazing about this new heart that he's placed within us at the new birth. Now, if you are never born again, you don't have this new heart. None of this applies to you because you're incapable of doing any of the things that I'm going to describe here unless you have that new heart. But let me show you the most amazing thing about this new heart. Romans 5, 5 says, the love of God, and remember, God is love. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the writer of Hebrews all said that uh, he's going to put within us a new heart, a new spirit. And that's what happened at the new birth. We got a new heart. The Holy Spirit come into us. We got a new spirit. Uh, it has to be cared for and it has to be fed so that it can grow stronger and stronger. But there's nothing else that we can do with this spirit. It's not like the flesh. God gave us a new spirit, not renewed, not made over, not fixed up, but a brand new one where the flesh has to be disciplined and uh, controlled. And, and that has to be every day or your flesh will run wild. But God wrote in the old covenant, the Ten Commandments, plural, the old law, on tablets of stone. But under the new covenant, the new law, the new commandment, singular, he's written upon our hearts. That's why he said, I've written my laws upon your heart. What laws? The Ten Commandments. But don't worry about the Ten Commandments. Just fulfill the one commandment that you love, your neighbor as thyself. So we went from Ten Commandments to only one because that one trumps all the other commandments of the law. If you fulfill this commandment, you don't have to worry about the Ten Commandments. They'll be fulfilled automatically. And then Paul tells us in Romans 13, verses 8 through 10, he says, Owe no man anything. Now he's not saying don't make a loan. You can still make a car loan, a house loan. You can buy, borrow some money from your brother or sister to get out of a jam. It's okay. You can owe your, you can owe a debt like that. He's not saying don't get into debt. He's saying owe no man anything but to love one another. Yes. That you owe. Yes. Don't worry about the other stuff. He said this you owe to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, or because of this, thou shalt not commit adultery. Because you're walking in love, you love your neighbor, you love your brother, your sister. Because of this, you won't commit adultery. You won't kill, you won't steal, you won't bear false witness, you won't covet. And then he says, and if there be any other commandment, anything that you could think of, he said, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the Ten Commandments wasn't enough for the religious right. teachers of Israel. Right. They, you know, they said, well, in addition to thou shalt not kill, they described what killing was. And they got another hundred commandments under that. Uh, anyway, there's about 850 commandments that were added to the Ten Commandments by the religious leaders. And that's what religion does. You can never meet the demands of religion. That's right. 
There's always going to be more do's and don'ts. There's always going to be more, uh, you, you have to do this, you have to do that. It's always, you know, it's never enough. And so he's saying here, and even any other commandment that you can think of, all the, com all the commandments that's under subtitle A, B, C, D, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and, all, and so on and so forth, all of them are included in this as well. So we don't have to worry about any of the commandments or the little bylaws that were spun off of the commandments as long as we walk in love towards our neighbor. Amen. Hallelujah. So much easier. Yes. So much easier. So Paul's saying if you're walking in the love of Christ, then you won't break the Ten Commandments. So we don't have to worry about them. And then he says in verse 10, love worketh no ill. No ill to his neighbor. In other words, if you're walking in love, you don't wish no ill will on your neighbor. And then he says, therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. All the law. So to love your neighbor means, again, to love those that are nearby. That means everybody. You can't pick and choose who you're going to love and who you're not. Yeah, but so-and-so did such and such, and we've been enemies ever since. Well, then you have to forgive them and repent for not loving them. Amen. Amen. Matthew in 5, uh, 5.43 and 44, Jesus said, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. That's the Old Testament. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, yes. and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I can remember a story Brother Hagin told. He said he was starting out in the ministry, been going a while, and you know, back then, being Pentecostal and tongue talkers and believing in healing and all that stuff, am I fading in and out here, Brother Joe? I changed the batteries this morning, so I don't know what it is. So he had this one mainline denominational preacher come against him, said some really ugly things about him, and uh, said it publicly. And so uh, Brother Hagen's advisors and staff wanted him to rebut it and say something back publicly and defend himself. And Brother Hagen said, no, no. He said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to send him a $10,000 offering, a love offering. He did, and when that guy got that offering, he called Brother Hagen on the phone crying and asking, begging his forgiveness. You know, he shouldn't have said those things and blah, blah, blah. Why? Because love never fails. And that's the lesson Brother Hagen was trying to teach us. Love never fails. So, uh, you know, if you're failing, it might be because you're not exercising love in that situation. But thinking that you have a right to hate people that have done you wrong is a sacred cow that we've been worshiping way too long. And I think it's time we knock that thing over. Amen? Amen. Yeah, but no, no buts. The scripture is clear. We have to love everyone, the brethren, the sistren, the neighbors, and now our enemies. That covers it all. Now, that doesn't mean you let people walk all over you right. or slap you around. Right. You don't have to trust them or allow them into your life either. You just have to love them. 
And sometimes that's from a distance. Thank God you do get to choose your friends and those you want close to you. You know, Jesus had three disciples that were close to him. He had a circle. He was in the center. He had these three that was close. Peter, John, and who was the other? They were on the mount with him, the Mount of Transfiguration. But anyway, he had three that were really close, but he loved them all. And, uh, you know, it was said that John, the one that leaned on his breast at the, at the Last Supper, he was the closest of them all. Yeah. Jesus must have had, now Jesus loved everybody equally, but he must have had special feelings for John because that's who he entrusted his mother with when he died on the cross. Yeah. He said, John, behold yeah. your mother. Mother, behold your son. Yeah. So in other words, John, take care of my mother when I'm gone. Yeah. So there's something special there. So we get to choose, and we don't get to choose who we love, but we get to choose who we want close to us. Amen? Amen. So Hebrews 10, 5 through 17 says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. This is Jesus talking. And then verse 6 says, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. God allowed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices for sin, but he took no pleasure in them because he knew they were only temporary. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. See, you'll find Jesus in every chapter of the Bible. Every Old Testament chapter, every New Testament chapter. Above, when he says, sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. He took away the first commandments so he could establish the second. By the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man called Jesus a man because that's what he was. After he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. See, no amount of sacrifices in the Old Testament could take sins away forever. Uh, there was a day of atonement. In other words, he just atoned for your sins, yeah. for Israel's sins for a year. But then they had to be atoned for again. And then in the, all through the year, there had to be sin offerings every day, every single day. The priests were sacrificing sin offerings for the people. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, that's you and I. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now that's what the prophets were saying in the Old Testament and now this is in the New Testament 
And, and Paul is quoting those prophets. So all the laws of the old covenant have been fulfilled in the one new commandment, love thy neighbor as thyself. If you love your neighbor, that includes everybody, brothers, sisters, neighbors, enemies. If you love them, then you're fulfilling the law. This is why it's so important to listen to our hearts. Why? The love of God has been shut abroad in our hearts, our spirits, our inner man. So it's already in there. Yeah, well, I don't feel it. It's in there. If you're truly born again, then the love of God was shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost when he entered your heart and gave you a new heart, a new spirit. And so it's so important that we remember that when we make decisions because every decision that we make, every judgment that we make should be made through the filter of love that's shed abroad in our heart. So don't make decisions in your head. Yes, your head, your mind uh, has a process that's involved, but the real decision has to come from your heart to your mind, not from your mind to your heart. Mm -hmm. Why? The love of God hasn't been shed abroad in your peanut brain. It's been shed abroad in your heart. So look to your heart to make decisions. Remember, he said he'd write the commandment where? On our heart. That's where the commandments are. We get ourselves in trouble because we listen to our unrenewed mind or we listen to our flesh, what our flesh wants. And I'm telling you, the combination of those two will talk you into just about anything. That's why our mind needs to be renewed on the word of God. Amen. I mean, if you're born again, then the love of God is in your heart. So let me put it this way. Stop making excuses. But I just can't bring myself to love so-and-so because of what they said or because of what they did. Well, that's the whole problem. Myself is in the way. Move yourself over and let the love of God that's already in your heart make the decision. Let it come up. Let it come out that you're going to forgive and you're going to repent. We're going to eventually look at 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, starting with verse 8, the love chapter. And we're going to see the definition of love. And you'll find in there that love doesn't consider a suffered wrong. In other words, yeah, they wronged me, but I'm not even going to consider it because I'm walking in love. The love that's in my heart. Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, and be ye kind one to another. Dang. First I got to love them, now I got to be kind to them. Well, that's part of love. He says, be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. In other words, like I said, we have to forgive the same way God forgives. And he forgets. Well, how can we do that? Easy, because the same love that God is has been shed abroad in your heart. If you can't do it with human love, with carnal, fleshly love, then do it with the love of God that's been shed abroad in your heart. And sometimes you have to love by faith. But if you do that, it will turn into a genuine love. Now, I can tell you times when I wanted to punch someone right in the throat for something that they said or did. 
That's right. You can sit there in that holier than thou tone of voice if you want to, but you're the same way as I am. You got the same flesh I do, and you struggle with the same things that I do. And if you say that you never wanted to punch somebody, at least give them a black eye, maybe not in the throat, then you're either more spiritual than the rest of us, or you're lying. One of the two. I'm just going to be honest with you. <laughs> But thinking about it and doing it are two different things. Yes, Unless it's adultery. Thinking about adultery is the same as doing it in God's eyes. But yeah. uh, here's the thing is, uh, sometimes you can't help the thoughts that come into your head. But once they're in there, you decide what to do with them. Yes. You can either entertain them and they will turn into an action. Or you can cast them down like the Bible teaches us to do right. and disregard them. Get them out of your head and think right. about something else. Yes. See, they might come into your mind, but you don't have to entertain them or obey them. No. See, I, I never punched them, though. I wanted to. I thought about it. But why? Because the love of God that's in my heart constrained me. It held me back. And you say, how does it do that? Well, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, Paul says, the love of God will constrain us, but we have to allow it to do that. Yes. He said, for the love of Christ constrains us because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. You got to reckon yourself dead to that old life. The New Living Translation says it like this. Either way, Christ's love controls us. It should control us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Yes. When you got born again, the old man passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Yes. And so it's not easy to walk in love all the time, but it's a choice. You choose to walk in love. And because I choose to walk in love, I'm dead to that kind of behavior. It died with my old life. Now that ain't saying it's not trying to get resurrected. It's not trying to pop up somewhere in my life because it will do that if you allow it. I mean, if you get me frustrated enough, mad enough, I'm, I might lose control for a second and I might punch somebody in the throat. I pray that I never get to that place again. There was a time when I would have did it without thinking. But I don't want to be like that anymore. I want the love of God to constrain me. And it has for all of these years. But what I'm saying is you can't let that old man pop up again. You have to be careful or he'll pop his ugly head up again and cause you to do something you really don't want to do. I'd rather let the love of God control me. The love that's in my heart. So like I said, it's not easy to walk in love sometimes. It has to be a choice. But this doesn't mean that you don't defend yourself either. Right. See, that's a, that's a wrong conception. That's a sacred cow that we need to kick over and sacrifice. Because that's been in the church too long. That, that old turn the other cheek mentality. And that's not what Jesus told us to do. Or why he told us to turn the other cheek. Not so that we could be slapped around and stepped on and kicked to the curb and walked over and taken advantage of. Because that's what's happened to the church over the years, uh, especially in this country. Yes. 
It's because of that attitude that we stayed out of politics, and you see the mess we have now. It's because of that attitude that we never stood up for righteousness and stood up for the things that are right, and you can see the mess we're in now. And so we need to get rid of that mentality that we're supposed to be slapped around and just take it. We're not supposed to be. Amen. Amen. So, anyway, I'm glad you brought that up. That we're going to knock this cow over. Jesus did say in Luke 6, 29, the first part, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Well, there it is, as plain as it could be. No, it's not. You can't take one isolated little scripture and build a doctrine on it or come to a conclusion on it. You have to take it in context. And I've preached this for years. Read the whole chapter, then read the whole book, and then compare it to the context of the whole Bible. Then you can discern what is being, what is being said. And if you read that passage of scripture in context, it's talking about exacting revenge on somebody that did something wrong to you. Jesus is saying, but I don't want you planning uh, revenge because so-and-so did something to you. I don't want you to get even with them. That's when you turn the other cheek. When it comes to you doing revenge or thinking uh, you're going to uh, get even with somebody and you plan something against them. Jesus said, before you do that, turn the other cheek, let them slap you on that cheek too. But anything else, it's not, we're not to turn our cheek. If something is wrong, we're to say it's wrong. If you turn the other cheek, you just keep your mouth shut and take it. No, if it's wrong, we need to say it's wrong. That's right. Amen. Amen. And we need to stand up for the word of God. And we need to stand up for our faith and what we believe. Stop turning the other cheek. Now, if somebody does you wrong and you start planning a way to get even with them, then you turn the other cheek. Jesus said, turn the other cheek in that situation. Or turn the other cheek on persecution. When somebody's persecuting you with words or something like that, like the church is being persecuted all over the world today, he's not telling you to turn the other cheek and take it. He's saying that if you're being persecuted and they're not bringing harm to you, then just turn the other cheek and ignore it. But he's not telling us to, to be abused or take harm from people. I pray you get this today because, be honest with you, we've just been a wimpy little church for the last 50 years in this country. And we need to start standing up. Amen. He's not telling us we have to get slapped around because I know some people would slap you from pillar to post and never quit. You just keep turning the cheek, they'll keep slapping you. If you're supposed to turn the other cheek, then that means that you can't even stand up to bullies. And you know what that means? You'd be bullied the rest of your life because they don't quit until right. you stand up to them. That's, right. That's exactly what the devil wants. He doesn't want you standing up to bullies because he's the biggest bully of all. No, if you slap me, we're going to go round and round on the ground. Amen. I don't care if you could whip me and I know it. We're going to go round and round anyway. And the next day when somebody sees you, they're going to know you've been in a fight. You might be able to say you won, but they're going to say, well, you sure was in a fight. I spat your eyes out. 
No, not really. I'm going to leave some kind of mark on you. I know that. <laughs> you know, when Jesus was on trial and the high priest was questioning him, someone slapped him on the face. Yeah. Let's see what he did. Yeah. In John 18, 22. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face and said, Is this the way you answer the high priest? And Jesus demanded, he said, if I said something wrong, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Yeah. And he turned the other cheek. He didn't turn the other cheek. He questioned it. He wanted to know why he was slapped. As a matter of fact, if he wasn't tied up, I ain't going there. <laughs> I'll just keep that to myself. <laughs> I believe he'd have slapped him right back. <laughs> he wasn't tied up. Now we're not to turn the other cheek for every little thing. We're supposed to stand up. Amen? Amen. Be a man. Be a woman. Well, that's all we got time for. But I didn't even scratch the surface this morning. We got a long way to go in this love walk. All of us, starting with me. Amen? I might point a finger at you, but I got three pointing back at me. Brother Darrell said point like this. <laughs> Remember I said, when I started out, I said Paul made this unusual statement. He said, for this reason, some of you are sick and weak, and some are even dying prematurely. This is the reason. Because we're not walking in love. That's right. And I'm going to show you that today. We're having communion. Um, and, and I'm going to show you in the word of God. Where he specifically tells us that. That if you're not walking in love. I'm paraphrasing. He says you're going to be subject to weakness. Sickness. And some of you even premature death. You know before God lets you backslide. To the point where you'll go to hell. You're a born again believer. But you just going to do something wicked and then backslide and lose your soul, God will take you home before he allows that to happen. There was a guy in the Corinthian church sleeping with his father's wife and they brought it to him. He didn't repent. They brought it to the church. He didn't repent. Paul says, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul might be saved in the day of judgment. Took him out. But he took him out saved. Mercifully saved. Hallelujah. It was an act of mercy to destroy his flesh. In other words, kill him. Let Satan kill him. So that he can go to heaven instead of hell. Because if he stays on this track and dies in that state, that condition, he's going to bust hell wide open. I don't want that. He said, turn him over to Satan. Let Satan destroy his flesh. Take his life. At least his soul will go to heaven. I hope we don't ever get to that position or that place. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, let's pray because we're going to go off the air before we do communion today. Father, we thank you and praise you for the word that's come forth. I know for a fact, Lord, that I fall short in this area. I think we all fall short in this area of walking in love and loving our neighbor as ourselves. 
God, I want to learn more about your love because you are love. And I want to know more and more about how to walk in this kind of love, the love that you've shed abroad in our hearts. And I pray that everyone within the sound of my voice has the same desire to walk in love and love their neighbor, love their brethren and sisters, and love their enemies, Lord, because you love us all. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. And the Bible says that you so love the world that you gave your only begotten son. Didn't say you so love the good people or the Christians or the blacks or the whites or the, anything in between. It said you loved a whole world, everybody in the world, and you gave your son to them, the world, not just to the church. So we thank you for that kind of love and the demonstration of it. Thank you, Jesus, for the demonstration of your love by giving your life for us in our place as our substitute in our stead. We so appreciate that. This is the kind of love we want to walk in. So in the coming days, especially in this new year, help us, Lord. Strengthen us. Give us opportunities to show our love for one another. And let it bring glory to you, Lord. You said that when we walk in love, all men will know that we're your disciples. And if they know we're your disciples because of the love walk, not because of bumper stickers or necklaces or t-shirts, they know because they see us demonstrating the love of God in our life, it will bring glory to your name. And that's what we want to do is bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.